2: Hello
3: and welcome all you chunky, monkey, Cherry Garcia, munchy loving hamsters. This is The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com and I'm your host, Kyle Cushman. Today's political and social attitude towards illicit drugs and rapidly changing laws are evolving globally and a huge part of that has to do with the ever-growing positive change in the global perception of cannabis. I'm extremely happy to welcome the highly distinguished Dr. Mitch Earlywine to the show today. He's an author, educator, medical researcher, and marijuana activist dedicated to normalizing the concept of open cannabis consumption. He is currently the professor of clinical psychology and director of clinical training at the State University of New York at Albany, where he teaches a course on drugs and human behavior, substance abuse treatment, and clinical research methods. Formerly the chair of the executive board of Normal, Dr. Earlywine continues his activism as Normal Advisory Board member and lobbies in Washington for Americans' rights to not go to jail for a plant. You know, how great is that? Mitch currently pens the High Times column, Ask Mitch, and he is also a fellow Cannabis Radio podcast host. So tune in and turn on to Burning Issues right here at CannabisRadio.com. But life isn't all about work with Dr. Earlywine. He's a huge advocate of humor and its social benefits. He's given a TEDx talk on using humor to build community. He throws down on a stage as a stand-up comedian, and today we're going to expand on that by talking about humor and education and how it's important tools in normalizing the perception of cannabis and marijuana consumers in modern society. Dr. Mitch Earlywine, welcome to The Grow Show.
4: Hey, thanks so much for having me, Kyle.
3: Thanks for doing the show today. It's good to meet you. Of all of our travels across the cannabis community and uh, lecturing circuit, we've barely run into each other, so this is a nice introduction.
4: Oh, I think it's delightful, man. Looking forward to it.
3: Yeah, and this is actually my last taped show of 2015, so I'm really glad you could make it. Before we get started, Dr. Earlywine, could you tell us a little bit about your background in the cannabis industry?
4: Oh, it's kind of strange. I uh, wrote the book Understanding Marijuana back in the early 2000s because I was teaching a drug class where I thought everybody would want to know about alcohol, and then I went in, and I'd been an alcohol researcher for probably six, seven years, and, and they said, no, we know about alcohol. We want to learn about marijuana. So I went through that literature, figured out all the lies I'd been told, wrote that book, assigned it to the class the next year, and they said, oh, we don't care about this. We want to learn about ecstasy.
3: Huh. <laughs> Progressive, we've got some progressive children these days, don't we?
4: (laughs) That was back at USC where you know Southern Cal was a rockingly wild place. It's good to be back on the East Coast where there's uh, plenty of interest in cannabis, alcohol, Uh and just staying healthy. Right.
3: I'm curious, have you ever noticed any differences in the academic performance of students who are vocal about their consumption of cannabis versus those who choose not to partake?
4: It's intriguing because I think those who are willing to go out and actually be advocates – take that role so seriously that they know they're a little bit under the microscope. And so I find they're often working extra hard to make sure their reputations are bulletproof. So I see them often doing markedly better than some of their non <laughs> peers or perhaps some of their peers who aren't actually in the, in the movement.
3: That's interesting. Compare that analogy to another thing that people frequently talk about, which is people who get high and drive
4: automobiles. Yeah, that's curious because I mean, when you look back at those Roby data, even from the late '90s, folks who do happen to drive after recent use often do all these wild things to compensate, like try to you know keep from passing other cars, watch their mm-hmm. speed, increase their stopping distance. I do feel like some of Paul Armentano's reviews of that literature suggests that at least when folks are you know being responsible about it, it may not be anywhere near as bad an alcohol as alcohol, and might actually have some modest improvements.
3: Well, I personally am not bragging. I don't mean to brag, but I've driven in my life over a million miles, and I'm not going to admit how much of that I was high, but I've only had one moving accident in over 30 years of driving. That's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) I recently had a great discussion with Dr. Lester Grinspoon about cannabis being the cure for reefer madness through education. You know, through education, we eradicate ignorance. How do you currently use education to cure reefer madness? You know, do you think it's working? Are we making any progress?
4: I really feel like we're due. I've been teaching this class on drugs and human behavior for the last 10 years here at SUNY and for probably the last nine years that I was at USC. And the students themselves are coming out of it in just a stellar condition, really much more open-minded, willing to understand rational choices and things like that but I'll occasionally give a lecture and in fact this year I gave a lecture in freshman orientation where somebody's there who's not really on our side in the first place they sort of hear one thing out of context and then they go off the deep end and, you know, accuse me of encouraging people to break the law. And if you're not there for the whole lecture, of course, you you hear something and you're bound to get yourself all worked up. But in truth, the information is definitely on our side. We've got the data, as Lester has emphasized. And I, you know, I love the thought that in many ways, cannabis really is the cure for reefer madness.
3: hmm. Yes. And power through education is absolutely the key. In your experience in interacting, well, first, let me ask you, how long have you been interacting and teaching the younger generations about marijuana?
4: So even when I only taught abnormal and even in a class on personality back in 92, I used to sneak, you know, cannabis jokes in or cannabis related (laughs) information just to make sure everybody was sort of getting the news as it was coming off the press. This was before Google Scholar or anything like that. So I'd have to talk to them about articles as they were, you know, still in print So literally since 92.
3: That's awesome. And I I don't mean to be harping on this, but I know that you have a lot of experience in this. And in your experience in interacting with thousands of young men and women that have come through your classrooms, to date, have you ever met anyone who has said that marijuana ruined their life?
4: Certainly not. And the irony is, I was just at a show of The Dead and Company, and who's sitting in front of me but a New York police officer who was in my class in 2005, and he gave me a hug and said, you know, I can't inhale in here, and I can't, you know, partake myself, but I'm super on your side, really careful with how I handle enforcement, and, you know, just want to let you know that you've been a huge influence, but... When people came to my house and saw your book on my bookshelf, I took a lot of trouble from other law enforcement officers. So, you know, Mm -hmm. you've done a good job, but we still got a hell of a battle ahead.
3: That's really interesting. And it's always heartwarming when you get people that you think are from the other side come over and kind of say, you know, I'm with you. I've got a lot of experience as well. It may be different. I'm on the, the, the enforcement side, but I'm with you. I think that's really great. During your 14-year tenure at USC and your current experience with the State University of New York, I'm told that you've received 21 teaching commendations, including the coveted General Education Teaching Award and the Chancellor's Award for Excellence in Teaching. Congratulations, by the way. You know, my dad was a teacher for 25 years. He was an English teacher. I think that had a lot to do with, you know, me being able to tackle public speaking and teaching myself. But I'm curious, how does the university that you work for feel about your advocacy work?
4: I got to be candid. They're a little apprehensive and it's hard for them just because, you know, not everybody understands and I never mean to put them in harm's way, but all I'm really doing is telling the truth. So anybody who comes to my class is welcome to record every single thing I say and I can fact check any single thing they have a question about.
3: Fantastic. A little bit of a renegade, but the truth is power. And that's what I always say. Well, this is a great conversation, but it is time for a break to show our sponsors some Grow Show love. So relax, take a deep toke, and we'll be right
2: back. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break. Mention the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on cannabisradio.com and don't try to debate me on something. Motherfucker, I can't do many things well, but words are my shit.
1: The Stoner Jesus Show live weeknights at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand
2: at cannabisradio.com and stonerjesus.net. Peace, bitches. Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to the Grow Show with Kyle Gushman, only on cannabisradio.com.
3: Welcome back to the Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com. We're talking with Dr. Mitch Earlywine, professor of clinical psychology at the State University of New York at Albany. This segment is about normalization through humor, and it's often said that laughter is the best medicine. But it's even better, in my opinion, when you combine it with our other best medicine, cannabis. And it's no coincidence that the chemicals released in your brain when you're falling in love or laughing with another human being are some of the same chemicals that are being released when you're getting high. Laughter is communal, it's social, and so is cannabis. Laughing together or smoking a joint together results in a warm familial bond that is, you know, very memorable. Dr. Earlywine, there are those in the cannabis community who rail against the stoner stereotype and are upset when you use words like marijuana or weed instead of cannabis. I feel they're completely interchangeable. And they feel that pop cultures like Cheech and Chong or Jay and Silent Bob only serve to further the idea that people who smoke weed are lazy, stupid, unmotivated. However, given that the stereotype is actually funny, in your opinion, does it really have a negative effect on normalization or does it just give us something to laugh about and bond together?
4: What's curious is we're never going to know for sure. I can't randomly assign folks to be familiar with the stereotype or not. So I understand the apprehensions folks have, but I just got to say, if there's any lesson this plant has to offer, it's lighten up.
3: (laughs) Exactly. We know cannabis consumers aren't lazy for the most part, and we know that we're motivated. Those of us who smoke weed and know what cannabis does for us, so why be so sensitive to stereotypes to begin with, right?
4: Well, in fact, my student Tom Denson and I have published on this. Other folks from the lab have contributed to this literature as well. Once you take out folks who are clinically depressed and trying to self medicate, you really don't see any differences in motivation for cannabis users and non users. And there actually are markedly worse drugs. As far as motivation is concerned, of course, you know, the dopaminergic things like cocaine, amphetamine, despite their stereotype of being speedy, actually decrease motivation in, in really disturbing ways. And then things like the benzodiazepines and some of the stuff you can get from your physician mm. actually can really undermine your motivation in, in just ways that are really maladaptive. But big pharma makes money on those, so we don't really hear about it.
3: Yeah, the young kids that grow up in a say non non-hip household, they're all loving this Adderall.
4: What's curious, too, is it really is this binge and purge situation, so to speak. So maybe in the short term, Adderall can increase some of your focus or some of your productivity, But it looks like longitudinal data are still lacking. I think folks who really do have ADHD definitely benefit from it. But this handing it out like candy simply because somebody's misbehaving and then having them end up being sort of amped up actually makes them less efficient because they're really too aroused to do certain tasks.
3: Right? You can see it in their eyes.
4: Sad but true. Well, I guess you can
3: see it in your eyes sometimes when you're high, too. But, you know, when you find that right strain that just tickles the receptors just right for you, for me, it's strawberry cough or something in the Hayes family. I get so cerebrally stimulated that I just want to climb a mountain or ride a bike or write a book.
4: And what's sad is we have so few data on strain-related differences. So, you know, there'll be one study saying marijuana doesn't really help – creativity, for example, and then I have to scoff and laugh because, you know, obviously they didn't try the strain that might have been the most relevant one because they can only get the one they can get from the University of Mississippi, and maybe that's not the one.
3: Right. I often thought a nice bumper sticker would be, bad
4: attitude,
3: wrong strain.
4: I like that idea a lot, and I would gladly purchase one of those, Kyle, (laughs) get it started.
3: You were recently spotted at a comedy club in Albany performing stand-up. So tell me a little bit about your stand-up career and what made you decide to get up on stage and start joking about weed.
4: Oh, it's funny, because in the late 90s, I was actually in group therapy and really struggling with sort of what do I want to do recreationally, and everybody was pointing out that I didn't really have any leisure skills. I was just, you know, captain publication, and (laughs) suddenly I took a class
3: People are always telling you you have to have more hobbies, aren't they?
4: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So I took a delightful class with uh, Greg Dean, who's a wonderful comedy coach out there in Los Angeles, and basically spent the late 90s doing shows at the Comedy Store and Places like that, and really honing my skills. Well, then, you know, I had kids, I had some things I had to handle. We came out here, and then this year, you know, after literally 15 years of not being on stage, got to do a show again here at the Comedy Works in Albany. And some of the old cannabis jokes still fly, and making fun of Prohibition can really get an audience on your side. (laughs) Unfortunately, I did a show upstairs, and then I was heading down to do a show downstairs, and a guy shakes my hand and says he's in the police and starts kind of unloading on me about why he thinks Prohibition is still good. And I was going to were... ask you about that.
3: I, yeah. I wanted to ask you about that. You know, you, you were approached by a cop after a recent gig, and evidently it was a rather uncomfortable experience. What happened there?
4: Oh, dude, I, I don't want to burst into tears or anything. I think, <laughs> like, I must have pressed a button for him because he clearly felt guilty about some of the enforcement issues, but wanted me to hear this story about how in a cannabis related bust, he also uncovered some prescription drugs that this person wasn't supposed to have. And he's got relatives who are addicted to prescription drugs, and he feels like he's preventing other drug problems, in a sense, thanks to cannabis prohibition. You know, I've got 90 seconds to run downstairs and do another show, so it wasn't like the educational opportunity I'd hoped for, <laughs> but it really creeped me out. And so when I was going to my car later, I'm literally, you know, looking over my shoulder, wondering if. Just because you do some anti prohibition jokes on stage, are you setting yourself up for a bust? It's a spooky thought, and I think it's easy because we're sort of in the community to think everybody's on our side when really there's a really strong vocal minority who still aren't ready for cannabis prohibition to end
3: yeah, you know you never know maybe he's one of the 001 percent who had a child who uh, went to uh, rehab for marijuana
4: or something. <laughs> sad, sad but true. You know? And I think as you know as you start changing more and more minds, the folks who are left, the folks who really are still holding on to cannabis prohibition as a good idea, are either the most unwilling, the most angry, or just the most resistant.
3: Well, I want our listeners to know that you are a very celebrated doctor and advocate. You serve on the editorial boards of four psychology journals, review for over a dozen, and have more than a hundred publications on drug use and abuse, including Understanding Marijuana, which you mentioned earlier, and The Parent's Guide to Marijuana. It seems like your work and your activism keeps you moving and shaking, as it does with all of us who are active in the community, and you're always traveling educating advocating when do you get any downtime and how do you unwind
4: well what's curious is uh, now that i'm a dad i literally spend a lot of time just cuddling up with my kids and watching the crazy shows they like so the time i've spent watching things like gossip girl is uh, not something <laughs> anybody would guess but that's really the moments of intimacy that i'm going to treasure most when you know you and i are in the old folks home passing around the sativa
3: That's great. Congratulations. That's really fabulous. I, uh, as you may or may not know, I just got married. It's been just over a month and I'm really, really enjoying that.
4: Well, my wife's a couples therapist. So if you guys ever need coaching, you know, you know to call our house. Uh, (laughs) If
3: I do, it'll be preemptive because I'm a big preventive maintenance kind of guy.
4: Absolutely. No, that's what she's really a big advocate for.
3: Really? That's interesting. That's interesting. You know, before we close, I want to make sure that I give you a second to tell the listeners how they can get a hold of you, if they want to get some more information from you. I did mention, of course, that you have a show, Burning Issues, on CannabisRadio.com, on our network. But do you have a website or an email that you'd like to share with the listeners?
4: Yeah, I try to keep things on the DL just so folks can you know, email me without having any fear. And it's 420research at gmail.com. That's 420research at gmail.com. And anybody who wants to get in touch, uh, I can usually get back to you within a couple of days. And if you send an interesting question, who knows? It might end up in the High Times Ask Dr. Mitch column.
3: That's awesome. That's another thing that we have in common, you know, is high times. I have a lot of love for high times and really, boy, I don't know where I'd be if I hadn't taken that job with high times. And I just really want to thank you for being on the show today.
4: Oh, it's my absolute pleasure, man. Looking forward to hearing this.
3: Yes, and I'm going to do your show really soon, hopefully. We are out of time right now for this segment, so we have to take a break for our sponsors, but we will be right back with Ask Kyle. The
2: Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break.
0: The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens.
2: Most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go.
1: Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com.
2: Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Gushman, only on CannabisRadio.com.
3: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com. It's time for the final segment of the show I like to call Ask Kyle. You know, at the Grow Show, we get lots of questions from listeners, and my favorite thing in the whole world is helping others learn to grow better. So here are a few questions that sparked my interest this week. From Anthony H via email Should cloning be done only in the vegetative stage? If so, how can I deduce the sex until it starts flowering? Well, I guess what you're asking, Anthony, is can you tell the sex of a plant before you actually flower it? And pretty much you can. It's not so difficult. It takes a little bit of practice. The first part of your question should cloning be done only in the vegetative stage? Preferably, yes. You know, when you mess with the photo period, you know, the flowering and vegging stage of a plant, it can tend to bring on hermaphroditism. So it's best to take your cuttings in a straight veg stage. But, you know, few days into flowering, I've done that many times. A week into flowering, I've done that a few times without any bad effects. But really, it's best to do it in straight vegetative. And how can you tell the sex of a plant before you flower? If you have a really good naked eye, you can see it with your naked eye and you can spot pre-flowers on the plant. It won't happen when they're really, really small. But if you veg your plants out to be at least a foot or two tall, and so therefore they're, you know, close to a month old or more, They will start to throw pre-flowers, and the pre-flowers will be located along the main stalk, usually one to two nodes from the top of the main stalk, where a leaf stem, a large water leaf, a leaf stem meets the main stalk. You'll see a little piece of vegetation there. Sometimes it's just two little flecks of vegetation. And then sometimes you'll see what is a preflower, and it can be either a male or a female pre-flower. The difference between the two are that a male pre-flower sits atop a stalk, a tiny little stalk. It almost looks like a spade sitting on a stalk. And for a female pre-flower, it will sit directly in the crevice between the leaf stem and the main stem. That little spade-shaped piece of vegetation will be sitting directly, not on top of a stalk. So there's your answer on how to tell male and female before flowering. If you don't want to trust that, it's really easy. Just switch to flowering and you know, within three, four, five days, you'll see these pre-flowers and they'll become very predominant. You don't have to worry about the males throwing any pollen for another solid week or two. It's good in the beginning to kind of get the idea of what the male flowers look like. But I understand if you want to keep them in the veg stage and never flip them, it is possible. Also, let me mention, this is a good question, let me mention that your males are always the tallest plants in the garden. And the other thing is that they are very symmetrical and simple looking. So your females will have a lot more branching and they may seem a little asymmetrical and complicated, like females may tend to be. Don't mean to be sexist. I'll be fair and be on the other side. Males are less complicated and simple looking. So there you go. Now the girls don't have to be mad at me. From Coyote Allroot via Twitter, do you think that the prices per ounce will go down with legalization? Absolutely, and that's what we want to happen because cannabis should be available to anybody. People have been making a lot of money off of it and they will continue to do so, but let's make it so that is affordable for everybody. From Hilton Schmilton via Reddit, new grower here, I'm going to try an indoor. I am worried about the plants getting too tall. If they do, should I cut them or bend them? Would cutting hurt? Well, don't let your plants get too tall, Schmilton. Basically, keep the lights as close as possible without burning them. Use a thermometer at the height of the tip of the growing plant and constantly raise it and just keep it, you know, in the low 80s with circulation. You can definitely bend the plants. You know, super cropping, you can go on my Facebook page and open up the folder on super cropping, and you'll see very detailed pictures on how to bend and break your plants. You can reduce the height of a two-foot plant by almost a foot and turn it into a one-foot plant again, utilizing more of your horizontal space rather than your vertical space. And the last part of your question, would cutting hurt? Absolutely not. You can cut almost 50% of the plant off, and as you know, it is a weed. It'll just grow right back. The trick is to continuously pinch the tops of the branches in kind of a bonsai technique so that you encourage horizontal growth and you'd minimize vertical growth. That way you get a, a bush instead of a Christmas tree. From InkyJet via Twitter, is the weed in Amsterdam better than in the U.S.? Well, without offending anybody, I'm sorry, but the weed in the U.S. is the best in the world. And that's because of the unlimited space that people take, legal or illegal, to take it to the umph degree. That's what us cowboys here in America do. You know, that's why uh, it's reversed We don't import very much cannabis into the United States anymore because we quite simply do grow the best. And that's thanks to all the wonderful growers all over the nation. There are wonderful growers all over the world. And I have to give kudos to you guys for uh, making it through these times of utter legalization and the subjugation of us evil stoners and the people who uh, are part of this cannabis culture. I love you all. If you want to submit your own questions, just go to our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash show. You can tweet your questions to Radio using hashtag TheGrowShow or send us via direct message. Unfortunately, once again, it's time to close the show. I want to thank our guests, Dr. Mitch Earlywine and the producers for making the show possible. Make sure to check out my website, KyleCushman.com, where you can find out where to follow me on social media, upcoming events I'll be attending, and subscribe to my newsletter. You can find new episodes of the Grow Show every Wednesday by going to cannabisradio.com or subscribe to the show on iTunes Stitcher and iHeartRadio. Thanks again for joining us. I'm your host Kyle Cushman and as always everyone please stay lifted